Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Recording icon, all right, good deal. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. I've got an episode tonight that I am beyond thrilled about. There, there are people in this world who have skill sets that so far exceed what I have and in, in, in my ability to answer uh, questions and give you tips and tricks. I'm, I'm, if there's 101, I'm like six floors below one-on-one. I know how to pull the trigger on a gun, and I get lucky every once in a while. And tonight's guest kind of defines... 101 and up and, and i'm thrilled to say that we've got scott ellis back on the podcast dude thank you for reaching out and finding time in the middle of turkey season uh, no problem no problem at all brother i'm excited to talk about turkeys and try to share my little playbook with the masses most of the playbook i don't give all the secrets away but you know but definitely get you we can get you going in the right stinking direction that's for sure at midway usa we know the ar-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern american history Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So it's funny, we were talking before, we always talk to the guests before we hit go, and I was telling you about our base. Our base is predominantly deer hunters, and, and through my passion for turkey hunting, hunting, we've kind of converted them into being turkey hunters, and I have consumed, I think, every bit of your content. I, I went on this kick in 2020, I read the 10th Legion, and I was like, I got to go to YouTube and, and consume everything I can. Hunt Quest came on, dude, if you have produced something, I have watched it. Uh, I've got... It. I've got one of your calls. I think it's, just, is this your new energy? That's it right there. That's my baby. Yeah. If one you, of my five little children. 
<laughs> if you yeah. want to feel both really bad for yourself and have something to aspire to go to the Woodhaven website and have, uh, and watch the video where he runs this thing, because I can produce about a 10th of the noises he can, but it's, it, it's awesome, man. I, I, I appreciate all of the content you put out, dude. I am glad to do it. I, uh, it goes back to at the end of the day, getting more hunters. I know people don't want to hear that there's more hunters, but that's the only thing we're going to do to preserve this heritage that we love so much is getting more people involved, buying licenses, buying products. And my, my take on it has always been one. I love to see people successful period, no matter whether it's golfing or hunting or fishing or whatever. And this is obviously turkey hunting, but two is to um, just allow them to give, give them a little toolkit to maybe get started in the right direction because if they go out there and have a little bit of success in the field, that's going to translate into them continuing and in, in longevity into turkey hunting. And that's going to equate into hunt licenses and buying gear and supporting what we do in the conservation efforts that we have out there at WTF, Wales Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, everything that's involving hunting. And um, so that's kind of where my whole take has always been just getting people involved because that's the only thing that's going to save us in the long run. Cause you know, they're, they're, they're lobbying every day to take our rights with guns and with hunting in general. So that's always been my deal is just sharing the, the, my knowledge um, with the masses. And you just don't know how uh, humbling it is. And, and, and to hear people have a success story because of a YouTube clip they watched that I put up there 10 years ago, or they're like, I finally got that wine or I got the front end of the Yelp and I went out and called in four turkeys for my friends and family. And it's just a great, it's, it's good for your soul, man, to hear people have that kind of success. So based on something you shared with me. Well, and especially in the state of Florida, you know, we don't exactly, we've got this real odd, like back and forth between the hunting community and an overwhelming group of people who couldn't care less about the hunting community. Right. I mean, it's of all the States, I feel like we're the, we're the snowbird state, you know, through and through, and that's a, a conservation a challenge. Yeah. yeah, a lot of liberals in Florida. <laughs> I mean, there are. There just there there are because it's a hodgepodge. Yeah, you know, it's like California. Honestly, it's getting to be like California. There's just a hodgepodge of different uh, races and ethnic groups and backgrounds and and nationalities, and it's not just the the core Floridians. I'm born and raised here, and I'm not a I'm not even a huge fan of the state of Florida. To be honest with you, I'm. I, uh, my son is 16 in July, and um, I'm now single. So when my youngin is 18 years old, all bets are off, and I'm going <laughs> somewhere that's more pro-hunting and more puts me in a more geographical position to go to other states. Because everything I've been doing for all these years, chasing turkeys, deer hunting a fair bit out of state, is all revolving around jumping on airplanes and traveling with all 50-pound suitcase, 50-pound gun case, 50 pounds of camera gear. And I'm almost 48. I'm not getting any younger. And, you know, I'm not fat and out of shape, but it's just, it's really cumbersome to travel like that. I've been doing it for 15 years, 18 years. So I want to get in a place that's a little more geographically um, feasible to jump in your truck and drive the top six hours and hit three states, four states, you know. And so that's what my game plan is going to be is to get out of Florida. Sorry, we're running off on a tangent there, but <laughs> into a more hunting rich environment because it's really getting hard to hunt in the state of Florida. It's really, really expensive. And places that I used to get invited to, I'm finding less and less of those. Um, we put in for quotas. We hunt game management a lot. Um, I'm probably going to be hunting game management second week in the season with a buddy of mine and filming some stuff here in Florida. So, so anyways, I'll quit rambling because I'll ramble on you for a day. 
<laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, <clears throat> selfishly, <clears throat> you can hit about five states from Tallahassee. I'm just saying, if you wanted to stay right. in Florida, you know. Right. I, <laughs> and, you know, I like North Florida a lot, man. I mean, it's, it's a different world up there from where I'm at, from where I'm at down yeah. here. It's a different world up there. Right? It's beautiful. Rolling hills, a lot of big pine wood. You know, it's, it's a different it's a different piece of Florida. And you're right. You can hit Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Not from here. Not from here because I'm six hours from you. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Wow. Five, five and a half probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, for- Scott, Go I ahead. want to ask Scott a question on uh, just basically kind of uh, turkey hunting in Florida now as compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago. Do you still feel like uh, there's the same amount of turkeys? Is it easier, harder uh, to hunt birds now? Uh, how do you feel about that? I think Florida has, has uh, succumbed to the death. The population is decreasing. Um, there's management areas that I've hunted for years and years and years and years that always held a lot of birds, and they are just gone. They're not there. Mm. There are very few turkeys there. I'm not going to name names out there on the uh, public broadcast system here, but <laughs> there's places near me in Central Florida that, in their quota hunts, and uh, my son, uh, who's now Jake, is he's you season's over with, so Jake will be 16 in July. Well, no more youth hunts. He did kill a bird in the South Zone couple weeks ago we got him on a bird thank goodness for that but um hunted with him he's 15 so this would have been when he was eight seven eight nine years ago so six seven years ago versus when he before he was born my ex-wife and i hunted this place when she was pregnant with jake and you didn't go in this management area not hear birds Mm -hmm. again it's a quota now you go in there and it's hard to find turkeys so to answer your question i think the pressure has gotten ridiculously insane um because now everybody's trying to, it's, it's the Osceola. I mean, the guys that I guide for do what I do. Like I'm going to guide this weekend at SNN Outfitters where I guided last year. I was in between jobs and got a chance to guide for two weeks. Those guys are being booked out two and three years in advance. Wow. People are that, they're that, they're trying that hard to get on that Osceola and paying a premium for it. And then, and then on top of that, outside of that, you got everybody and their brother out of state. And Florida has no restrictions, to my knowledge, on um, non-residents applying for quotas. Like a lot of states are tightening up on that, and mm-hmm. I agree with that. First, 75% of quota hunts should be the state residents. Let the, let the non-residents get the slim pickings, in my opinion. But don't. But leave, leave them a spot. You know, give them a fighting chance. But we should be the ones that are getting the best first run at these things. So, anyways, some states are doing that. Mississippi, I think, is doing it. Louisiana is starting to do it. I think it's Louisiana or Mississippi. You can't. No non-residents the first 10 days of season now. They right. they implemented that. So, anyways, to answer your question, though, I think um, I think the pressure's gotten crazy and, and it's challenged the birds. And I just think not only in Florida, across the nation, there are pockets of birds that are doing great. And then there's places that were once birds, they're just – their the populations are dying. And, and, and I, you know, the NWTF has been involved with this trying to figure it out. And I don't know if anybody's got a good answer about whether it's drought, nest predation – we don't, I don't, I mean, everybody has their theories. I think a lot of it's nest predators, to be honest with you. I, it's not coyotes, everybody will say, oh, it's the coyote. coyotes. They harass turkeys more than they do anything. Now, I'm not saying they won't <laughs> stumble on a nest or right. maybe kill a hen on the nest that's sitting, but as far as actually catching them, bobcats will catch a turkey and snap a turkey's neck in a minute. They're they are fierce predators. They are unbelievable. So I think a lot of it is, I think there's less people trapping. There's less people um, doing predator hunting as there once was at one point in time. And, uh, Raccoons are a huge issue here in Florida. Possums, raccoons, skunks, um, porcupines up north. I mean, any any of these animals will stumble on a nest and they're going to eat those eggs. And I think that's the my number one theory is nest predation more than any of it. But 
moving, you know, sorry, again, we're rambling, but we're covering some good topics because people are interested what's going on. I've been hunting this property for 20 years. 10 years ago, you hear 15 birds. Mm -hmm. You're lucky to hear two or three now, Mm -hmm. you know, or or something like that. So So, uh, along those lines, I've got a couple like follow-ups because here, so new turkey hunter, real new turkey hunter. So I'm not going to go to the point of where I'm saying I've got any kind of like true solutions, but there's a WMA near the house that you very seldomly saw birds. They had birds, but you very seldomly saw it in 2020. And they started burning and rotating these different blocks and the habitat improved. And now everywhere I go, I feel like I'm running into turkeys. Do you feel like the habitat down there needs a love and that would help the turkey? Interestingly enough that you say that it's interesting because that one particular management area, I'm not going to name that used to be insane. They used to do control burns. They mowed. They did a lot to help mm. turkey habitat. So that's another great that's another great angle to add to it. I yeah, I absolutely think if you if you tailor your properties to uh, turkey conservation um, properties, I think it's going to make a big difference as well. Like you said, there all of a sudden you're seeing turkeys in places. Turkeys are going to take the path of least resistance. I mean, they'll live where they live. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, an example of that, and I'm going to say the name out loud: Ocala National Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of turkeys there. People, you don't even realize there's birds in there. And, but there's a fair bit of turkeys in there, and it's like this. It's thick as a hair on a dog's back in that place. But they have learned. But it's been that way for 150 years. Or right. However, you know, those scrub oaks and those those sand pines and stuff, that's been that terrain for 100 years or better. And those birds have just learned to live in it. But I think any place that's starting to grow up and get thick and a lot of undergrowth, I think, is where you're seeing the population tail off a little bit. Or they're just moving out. Maybe it's some of that, too. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's just it's an odd correlation because, you know, we haven't done anything for the predators, which I definitely agree with you, especially nest predation. Definitely an issue. But it was interesting that the moment we start doing burns, I mean, I drove in the driveway today and saw turkeys. There were three tur- hen turkeys and I haven't seen turkeys on this road the entire time. And it's just I wonder if we need to become better advocates uh, outdoorsmen because clearly the rest of the state isn't going to do it for us. But I wonder if we don't need to be better advocates for habitat as well, which is a core tenant of NWTF. I agree hundred percent. And that, and that's something that they used to do. I've lost touch with the, the programs that the NWTF are involved with, with the state level stuff. Now I used to be involved with it to the point of knowing where, where they were, where they were actually doing work locally here in central Florida, burning and mowing and chopping mm-hmm and creating habitat for birds and i just don't think that that's part of the agenda much anymore i really don't the habitat um improvement i don't think is something that that's been it's being uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for is being uh, um engaged as much yeah, as it used yeah, to be there yeah. you go so i don't know that i've ever heard this and i'm going to ask i'm going to take us in a totally different direction how did you sure. get into turkey hunting man um okay so i started squirrel hunting as a little fellow five six years old with a 410 my dad and my uncle are not obsessive hunters. They hunt. They hunt. They hunted. My um, my uncle, my dad squirrel hunted. They dove hunted a little bit. So I started to cut my teeth on squirrel hunting. Um, then went to dove hunting about seven, eight years old. Uh, killed my first buck in front of hounds running dogs down here in Central Florida. Eight point, beautiful eight point, nineteen eighty five with a four ten slug. And then started steel hunting. So and this was I was what in eighty five, nine years old, ten years old, and that is right. Nine or ten is about when I discovered what turkeys was about. And I started reading it and building stream. And I went on a fall hunt with a gentleman one time in the fall. And I had seen the bird calls, we called them when I was a little fellow. The bird calls. You can get them out of a, out of a, out of a, 
department store machines. I, I'm older than you guys. I'm 48 almost. So, but you used to get a bird collar, and it was a single re diaphragm turkey collar, really what it was, out of the machine for 75 cents. And so I, I remember seeing these little things, didn't know how they worked. Well, I went on a piece of property years ago. Again, I was like nine years, 10 years old, and um, went with a gentleman who had a Quaker Boy Pro Pack. It was a Pro Triple, a Old Boss Hen, and a Twin Two, I believe. It was a little snuff can brown pack with a Quaker Boy emblem on the top. And um, he, he proceeded to take me out on a 50-degree, drizzly, crappy Florida morning and put that mouth call in and started yelping and making sounds that I don't even know to this day exactly what they were because now that I know the language of the wild turkey, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> but I was absolutely mesmerized. And then I started reading up every piece of literature and understanding, holy crap, we're talking to these birds in their own language. And then we're doing the reversal of nature of gobblers gobble and strut and spit and drum and hens go to them generally. Obviously, gobblers do go to hens sometimes. That's how we call them in. But, you know, it's more common than not that they're going to, the hens will go to them. They draw the hens in it. And I was just intrigued with it. So bought a mouth call, Quaker Boy Kiki, I think was the very first mouth call, just a straight double read. And I was um, at the local gun shop down here in Florida, rode my bike, rode my bicycle to the gun shop, saved money for two weeks, allowances, it was, they were like four bucks back then, three, four dollars, and uh, proceeded to, I had an old Penswood 33 vinyl record that had Rod Latham, and I'm trying to remember who the other guys, it was a vinyl record on a record player, and that's where I learned and started listening to the birds and the sounds and being able to mimic them, and then from there, it just developed into this labor of love, and I, you know, went out and started killing turkeys and figured it out and how much to call, when not to call, and then I started improving my game and getting different cuts. So they had the old boss hand the cutter call with. I was a big Quaker Boy guy back when I was a kid, huge Quaker Boy. Was on their pro staff for about seven or eight years actually no in the early two thousands. Before been with Woodhaven fourteen years now, but I was Quaker. I've been with Quaker Boy and Woodhaven. That's it. So, um, anyways, as I grew and grew and grew and got better and better, I started competing at seventeen. And I called up in the senior division in 1992. I was a senior in high school, and I placed second in the senior division when I should have been in the juniors. And um, from there, went in, the, went in the Army, took a hiatus from competition calling, got back into it about 99, 2000. And then the rest has just been building my own calls. I started beating, building my own mouth calls as I got later in life and then really figuring stuff out and getting better and better and better at it. Now I've won a couple contests over the years, and I've done pretty well with it, you know, and just and done a lot with the instructional side of it, which we talked about earlier, just helping people in my YouTube videos, Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, Turkey Tech, my app, which is a great little tool for helping people mm -hmm. get started. And, yeah. Um, so, and that, that's the short version, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, at the end of the day, I was intrigued and enamored by the fact that we're able to talk to an animal and communicate, and I've learned to exploit that communication, and it's a whole other level outside of going cut, cut, yelp, yelp, cut, cut, cluck, cluck, yelp, 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 yelp. There's a whole nother level of exploiting his emotions, whether it's excitement, whether it's being quiet and shutting up completely, whether it's being coy and shy, whether it's staging a fight between two other gobblers or two hens. There's a whole nother level, and all you're doing is you're, you're exploiting his emotional state, and you're trying to capitalize on that to get him to close the distance. There's so much more to this game than just yelp, yelp, cluck, cluck. You know, it's just, it's a really, it, hopefully we can touch on some of this stuff a little bit, but. Yeah, no, and I, I want to go ahead and give you a plug, that Turkey Tech app. Um, I don't know what it costs now. I don't know if you've changed the price on it, five, so it's still $5. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now that thing is worth $30, and I tell people that all the time. In 20, after the 2020 season, after you and I first spoke, I got the app. 
And I just religiously on the car ride to work, I'd put the windows down so I could actually hear what it sounded like. And I would listen to that app over the Bluetooth. I'd make the noises and I, I still have it on my phone today. And every once in a while I touch it, touch base, tune it, up. tune it up, make sure I'm, you know, my ears right as it should be. And that I cannot stress enough. If you're listening to this, you're thinking about getting into turkey hunting, you're, you're a diehard turkey hunter, or, or you just need to take it to the next level. That $5 is the mm-hmm. cheapest. That's the cool thing about turkey hunting. You don't have to oftentimes spend a whole lot of money. And that's right. a prime example of it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's got live turkeys. You can record yourself. You can loop it with me doing the calls. You can loop it with the turkeys, which is more important. And um, yeah, it's epic. It's If there's more knowledge, if a guy can't get on that app and spend a week with it and go out and have an idea of what he needs to do, then then his IQ is worth less than Forrest Gump, is all I can tell you, because it <laughs> it's all right there, fellas, you know I mean? It's right there in front of you, and, and there's hunts, have you been, have you done the updates? There's hunts now, oh, there's I didn't situational know that. hunts that I narrate through what worked in that situation, it, oh, yeah, wow. there's, uh, there's gobbler yelps on it now, I did fighting purpose, I think, updated with it, um, locator, I'm doing an owl call, doing some out locating stuff with crow and owl on there now. Yeah. So it's now I haven't updated. It's been over a year now since we've updated it, but um, there is a lot more content than when it, than when it was first uh, put together. And I'm very proud of it. You know, and I, I guess a lot of it's, it's great for the beginner because unfortunately, and I'm not knocking turkey hunters because I, I'm died in the wool turkey hunter, but guys will go out and kill a, a, a turkey, a turkey or two or three. And then they're experts. Then they know everything. Oh, there's nothing to this killing these turkeys. You know, I've killed three and it's my second season. I know what's going on. So unfortunately, I think a lot of people, turkey hunters are prideful characters, you know, and they sometimes have inflated egos. We all do. You know, you think we're really good at what we do and then they humble you real quick. But that, you know, that it's always good to get humble, get knocked down a couple notches. But I think the app just, um, I think it would do a lot of people a lot of good that think that they know what's going on. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm trying to not sound arrogant. It's just, I'm trying to sound like the fact that don't feel like you can't ever learn something turkey hunting because they school me almost every time I go out. I learn something new and I put something else in my playbook. You go, ah, I got you. I see what you did right there, sir. And I well played, well played. And then I put it in that turkey <laughs> computer and process it and try to bank it. And of course, I can't remember five minutes ago now, so it's getting up at 48 almost. <laughs> it's getting harder to call back on those days when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 in Manhattan yeah. in Florida. But no, it's just there's a lot there's a lot of knowledge in there. A lot of years of stumbling around in the woods because I learned hard hard knocks. My uncle and dad were not turkey hunters. I yeah. learned everything I learned literally was self taught. It started with absorbing every piece of uh, of literature that I could find back then. The record player deal. There was not YouTube. There were there, there was just starting to get to be VHS hunts on, back in the day, and they didn't really teach you anything. They were just hunts, like with old Joe Drake from Real Tree and Ricky Joe Bishop and the Quaker boy videos and the jury started their thing like back in the nineties. So, yeah, I mean, there was not a lot of instructional stuff uh, out there to teach people. So I stumbled around for a minute, you know, kind of figure it all out. Once it started, I started having success and getting better at calling and then getting better at woodsmanship and learning how to put calling with woodsmanship. That's something I love to discuss because, Oh, you don't have to be a good caller to kill turkey. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You can pattern birds. You can choose. You can yelp and cluck three times and sit there and be quiet, and you're going to kill turkeys. I get it. But all I've ever said that made the most sense to anybody is raise your calling game up. Say you're the best woodman. You're Daniel Boone in the woods. You're the best woodman that ever walked on two feet. But you you can't really communicate with a turkey. You really don't know the language that well. You can make some sounds that will draw a turkey in on a good day. But you take that woodsmanship that you boast about and then bring your calling level to that thing and, and then 
put them together and you're you're it's your turkey serial killer i can't say word and that's i mean that's i know guys that i have done that to by helping them step their calling game up and they were already killing turkeys but buddy they are just absolutely murderers now they're just killing them like they just cannot wrap their head around how much more successful they have become with their wood skills and then upping their calling game fees so Chase, I've got a thousand directions I could take this. What, where do you, what, 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 what are your thoughts? Yeah, it does feel like it could go a bunch of different directions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm always curious uh, about the calling myself, um, especially hung up birds or whatever, because I feel like, okay, I've, I need to go this direction, but say that doesn't work. And then I try something else that doesn't, right, that doesn't work. And I feel like a lot of times I'm just throwing stuff out there, hoping for a response or hoping for the bird to come in. And uh, especially on them hung up, hinned up birds or whatever. I know they're some of the hardest ones to kill. And that's what you just said, honestly, is is something that I preach all the time. Have a thick ass playbook. I mean, just don't. But here's the thing. Don't throw it all at them in five, ten minutes. If you're going to change <laughs> tactics, I love to give a little pause, gauge him a little bit, see what he's doing. Okay, he's hanging up. Okay, I got super aggressive. It didn't work. So I'm going to go quiet for five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, and just give him solid treatment. That that will break birds a lot of times. But if that doesn't work, then I'm going to start scratching in the leaves and clucking and purring. And I'm going to do that for you know several sequences, and I'm going to give him a chance to see if that breaks him. Um, I'm going to stage a fight with my wings doing the fighting purrs and, and, and slapping those wings together. I carry two Osceola wings or Eastern, I think they're Easterners this year. Depends on whichever birds I happen to lop the wings off. I need a new wing, but I'll use those wings for fly downs, do an imitated fly down cackle, to do mm. bites, just to scratch in the leaves with it. So keeping that playbook thick is always going to be a, a good thing, but just don't, like I said, don't throw it. Just don't launch them like you're throwing Hail Marys every five minutes. Give that tactic if you change it up a little bit different, get a little bit of time for it to work. Then move on to the next tactic. So you're doing, in my opinion, you're doing the right thing because most people don't even do that. They don't even throw things at them. Try, okay, let's reposition. Let's let's get around him. Let's back up. Use locators to get in there on him from a different direction. Don't say a thing about. Don't do any yelping, cutting. Try to use a locator to keep him gobbling. That's something that we could talk about again for another hour about how I have. I'm doing more and more with my location game, locator game, um, as far as really making myself switch to locators before I start turkey calling. Because if you can use locators on a bird, and it doesn't always work. Now, we know this. Disclaimer, sometimes they just aren't going to gobble at anything but a hen. But many times they will gobble at a crow or a hawk scream or a barred owl. I love screaming on a scream is just a really super effective call that's outside of the normal. Okay, that's great. We hear that. That's what we do. And they gobble at sometimes. But then I do a laugh sequence and get loud and then shut it off real quick and listen. And then listen. That that real shrill laugh at the end really gets them to go. Or I'll just scream on it. And just listen. And, and a lot of times that'll get them gobbled. So my point, I, I got off on that demonstrating that new Ninja Owl that I designed with Woodhaven. But I use locators because here's the thing. If you can use locators and never make a hen sound and get in here tight on him and in his living room, mm -hmm. and then you give him that first little soft yelp and you're tight, you're 75, 80, 100 yards that bird, it's going to be so much easier for him to break and make it move to you. If you're calling at him from 300 yards all the way to him and then you sit down and then you quit moving to him, it just makes perfect sense for him not to want to come any closer either. 
And now mm-hmm. I'm not saying I haven't done it. Kill turkeys doing that, but it's just been a lot more successful by not making any turkey sounds for as long as you can possibly do it. So that's something I and I've been up in my game and really making myself use locators level. Now, if I hit it and I'm in a good spot, I hit the crow real loud. I love using a crow call right at daybreak. I mean, the crow will get one to gobble, man. It will really get one to gobble. I use it, you know, I'll use an owl middle of the day. I do, I do flip them both ways. And um, if they don't get any response and I'm in a target-rich environment, then at that point, I'm going to go ahead and cut real hard on my tube call and yell about it. I mean, I'm not saying you can't to not use a turkey call, but um, I'm getting long-winded. Try not to do it if you tell if you. Try to get him to elicit a response from a locator before you go into your turkey calls. It'll, it'll, and then when you do that and he does gobble, with a locator, get tight on his butt. Get in there tight, tight, tight. Don't bump him, obviously. Don't, don't, you know, if you don't have the good wood skills and you're not ninja like in the woods, don't, <laughs> don't, don't bump him because that's risk reward when you start trying to get tight like that. But the closer mm-hmm. you get, the better your chances are. It, it's funny you talk about using the locators so again new turkey hunter but last year i was i was taught that lesson because i was up in north georgia hunting birds late season and there was this bird up on on the ridge and we had to, he, he had perfect eyesight he's on this two track he can see every direction the only option was to go around the mountain up over the top and, and use the terrain and yeah. as we're coming around my brother i'm telling my brother like don't call don't call i don't want him to like come around this way exactly. But the whole time we're doing that, there's a red tail hawk at the top of the mountain screaming. And every time he would scream, you'd hear that bird gobble. And the whole way up that mountain, I'm telling my brother, dude, I'm buying a red tail hawk call when we get back to cell service. Like it will be waiting in the mailbox. And that's kind of part of my new strategy as much as possible. There you go. You experienced exactly what I'm talking about right now, except you had a natural, a natural locator doing going for you. And that's even better. And then. Did y'all kill the bird or at least get on him tight? We screwed killer? it up. We screwed it up at 15 steps, man. It was terrible. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got well, too close to his bubble. <laughs> you got too close. See, that's the thing. You got to yeah. be, you got to have that, find that gray area, that happy mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Was it open timber? Or they oh, got wide, or? wide open. Yeah. There was, th- there was a two track road and here it's thick outside the two track. So path of least resistance, those mountain birds have four wheel drive built into yeah. each foot. And he came yeah. and, I, and I, and I was planning on him coming around. And as we're getting set up, he came right over the top of the ridge and the gun barrels pointed here and he's looking right down at us, man. Oh it was God. unreal. Have you called? Did you call? Ju- I had just called. I had just, oh as we were, we were, yeah. I mean, it was, I consider it a win because that was like a two mile up, up, we, we came up the side of the mountain where you were on hands and knees to get up the mountain, got up there, got positioned above him. And he just, he won that day. That close to having success by doing exactly what, yeah. Well, what I was talking about, just uh, red tail did all the the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a Hulk screamer, red tail, you know, the high, you know, you can, you can pillate with pecker call on it. It's, I think it's something that doesn't, get enough attention outside of just at daybreak and out hooting, you know, yeah. doing 101 crap. And I'm, I think if you take it to the next level, it's something that I've uh, started getting a lot of success with, you know, locators. Yeah. I, gotta, yeah. I didn't grab it. I can't grab my crow call and give it a little bit of quick rundown on how I run a crow if you want. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 Y'all talk amongst yourselves. I'll grab the crow real quick. I just grab my best <laughs> right here. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll talk amongst yourselves. Right be perfect. For, Listen. for sponsor breaks here. Um, <laughs> Thermocell. <laughs> Thermocell, yeah. Woodhaven, <laughs> Apex Ammunition. Uh, you I, go. Right here. I love it. So I'll set this over here and figure out how to get my recliner. That's where we're partying down here in the recliner, right? But yeah, um, the crow is another great one to use at daybreak. And I'll just give a quick tip on um, on how, like I did the scream and the laugh on the barred owl. 
the crow call is under underused in a lot of ways, and because um, you're basically you're getting the the, the normal turkey hunter is gonna. I mean, he does that. He just does the crow. Call. He, wow, that's kind of sounds like a crow. But the key is to gargle and use your uvula, and then put that. You don't have to voice it like a duck call. You're blowing, but to get that uvula rolling. Then you blow across it, and then it takes it to the next level. I got something in. I need that thing to sound right. I got. All right, we're gonna have to do a re. We're gonna do a quick tune. I got pine straw in my. See, that's how so easy to tune a uh, real crow. What even a real crow right there? That simple. There we go. So there's your basic stuff. And then you start put that growl in it. And then listen. Give those short, sharp. Yeah. It's like you're hawking a loogie. And that's what gets that add that next level realism. So yeah, um, sounds good. Do that. Give them those short bursts, and I do it right at daybreak. I mean, as soon as I hear crows in the morning, which sometimes is earlier than I hear owls, you know, I start hitting the crow call because they just seem to gobble. It's it's louder than a crow than an owl, other than maybe screaming or laughing really loud. It's just louder and more rashes. So. Yeah. yeah, we can move on from locator. Sorry, guys, we've been banging this round for a while. So. Man, I'm gonna have to dig my crow call back out because I hated how it sounded, and I'd never heard that tip before. And the difference between those two was oh, so amazing. profound. It is amazing. Remember, it's like you're hawking a loogie. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you do, and it'll your uvula will roll. Yeah, and then it'll get that it'll get that growling sound that you hear crows do. Well, yeah, because it's not built into a crow call. That is not built into any crow call. <laughs> you got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm oh, a yeah. fat man, so I'm always. I sound like that just breathing, so I'm. Sick. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. All right. Let's let's touch on the 101 thing because I know you t- okay. you you get a hundred thousand 101 questions, um, but I just kind of want to touch on one, it, it, and it's one that we get all the time, which is. You hear new turkey hunters, they really get hung up on creating that initial playbook. Like, how do I actually approach turkeys? And unfortunately, the answer is a heavy degree of you just start, right? There's no one way. But say you've got a guy, he's bought your your calls, so he's got his locator calls, he's got all the gear he needs, and and he's he's sitting up at night fretting about going out there. What's your advice to him for kind of creating that initial strategy? Um. The easiest answer is to go with somebody that halfway knows how to turkey hunt and, and has some background, some success. They have the basics. If you you can stumble around in the woods a long time, just like I did, figuring it out, or you can go with somebody that can give you that groundwork. Now, outside of that, um, read as much as you can read up on them. Get my app because it teaches you basically 101. You start at daybreak. You crow. You owl. You get close as you can get to him on the roost. You set up. Don't bump him. If you're not comfortable getting too, too close, then don't get too, too close. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's a risk-reward thing when you try to get super tight on him, but it can pay off dividends a, a lot of times. And then from there, um, don't overcall him on the limb. This is 101. I mean, I'm just running right down the list. Absolutely. Yep. Give him some tree calls. I mean, I'll demonstrate it. We might as well go ahead and get nasty. Well, this is a Ninja V is what this is. But, I mean, um, just give him a little bit of tree talk. Some soft bubble clucks and some tree calls. And I mean, you can do this on a pot call. You don't have to be, you don't have to not necessarily have mastered a mouth call. And um, don't ever call him on a limb. Just don't ever call him on a limb. If you do and you get too aggressive too quick, 
he tends to sit up there and just gobble some more because he's excited and he's probably thinks he's gobbling up more hands around. And the only time there's only exception to that rule. And I've said this a hundred times. I've said it once is if I hear him with hens, I might give him, I might step my game up because at that point I'm trying to convince the hens to fly down over here and maybe he follows. That's the only time I'll get a little more aggressive on the limb. And, but just treat call him, let him know you're there. And then I'll go into the next little quick one-on-one excerpt about what's next. Yeah. Soft, bubbly, molasses on a river rock, just a smooth little roll over yelps. And let it let it let everything transpire like it's gonna transpire. He might answer, he might not. Don't fret. If you're in that 100, 150 yard range, he's heard mm-hmm. that. He will hear that. And that wasn't even loud, obviously. But um when it gets a little bit more light, a little bit more light, again, barring that there's no hens, we're, we're gonna say there's no hens. Then I'm gonna um, you know what? I got my best right here. We're gonna do this thing. I'm gonna show you what I do. And you've watched Hunt Quest, you've watched my show, you see these all the time. I've, I've got two of them in my best. And I'm going to give him a fly-down cackle, which simulates a hen hitting the ground, coming out of the tree. And uh, that's about, you, it's a, you just get a feel for it, how hard light, you know what I mean? When I sit there and look around and think a turkey would feel comfortable on the ground right now. And, and sometimes they go way earlier than that. It just depends on the turkey in that day. But So I'm going to do the um, fly-down cackle and simulate that a hen flew down. hearing that and then he's hearing that and then mm-hmm. it's like it's another level of realism one if you get good on a mouth call and you can do that and give a, give a true rendition of a hen doing that and then he hears those wing beats and it's like whoa 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 and i mean we all sit there and think about it i don't know whether turkeys can actually rationalize but i think they just instinctively they hear wing beats and they hear a cackle and they go part of me says that that's he thinks that is a real hen mm-hmm. and that's and that's why why not add those other other sounds to your playbook that aren't necessarily vocalization? And it's just worked really well over the years. After that, let him hit, let, let his feet hit the ground, then the game really begins. Okay, after that, just kick back. If I'm, I'm if I'm feeling it and he's fired up and I'm and I'm thinking, man, I really can I think I can do something. He's seeming really interested to the way he's answering. I might even give another cackle and make him think there's two hands that just flew down mm-hmm. over there. And um, that's ne- definitely something that I would never discount, or maybe three. And then if it's got hens, then it's a whole other game. We talked about that. He's got hens. I'm going to try to interact interact with the hens and get them chatty and not get don't get too aggressive. We can talk about this in a minute about calling to the hens. I got a whole dissertation I love to give about the two types of personalities that you get in a boss hen that's in the harem, mm-hmm. his harem. But uh, after that, let his feet hit the ground. And this is the easiest way I can explain this. Turkey 101. His feet hit the ground. Once I realize he's on the ground, then I'm going to gauge him, see what he's up, see, see what he's about. And I'm all I'm going to do is playing the up to this turkey, maybe cluck softly and playing the up. And that's all you need to do once he starts coming. Don't ever change that tactic up, guys. That's all you need. To, don't dump your playbook on, on him too quick. Don't start clucking and purring and fighting purring. And No, 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 just yelp. Yelp until he quits coming to you. When he hangs up, then it's time to go, okay, I got to go quiet. I'm going to get aggressive. I'm going to stage a fight. I'm going to reposit. These are all these things that Chase was just talking about trying to throw at him, but it only ever happens whenever he stops his forward progression. And it's so simple if you think about it that way. Give him the basics. 
whenever the basics don't work, then you start opening that playbook and start thinking about different things and different tactics that you want to employ. That makes way better sense than I could have ever articulated it. Because I think when I look back at my first year turkey hunting, it was like I've watched you and all these people do all these different things. As long as I'm getting a reaction from him, I'm going to keep doing something different or something new. Um, but taking the temperature of that bird makes a lot of sense, right? Yep. You know, you're, you're, if, 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 if purring is doing it, don't, don't overinvest in that bird. That makes way too good sense. Yep. Just start with the basic, 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 basic guilt, and then only get advanced and more advanced if you absolutely have to. Cause I mean, if you use all your tricks up too quick and he's a hundred yards uh-huh. and you're, and you're throwing and, and then, and he's hanging up at a hundred, then and you exhausted all your tricks. Then you got nothing left. You know, mm-hmm. you got nothing left to throw at him. And then, then it's a matter of probably trying to slip out of him and reposition on him and then, and then start the game all over again or walk off and leave him there and go find another one. If you have that option, which <laughs> not, you know, not a lot of us have that luxury sometimes, you know, so. <laughs> I don't know that I have the willpower to leave. Him <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially he's just answering and that's, and that's something, another yeah. tangent, try, when I say keep calling to get him until he's coming, don't get overzealous. We've heard this. This is old school stuff from the 90s and the 80s when turkey hunting started exploding. But overcalling him is, is the death. Don't When I say yelp and just plain yelp, don't yelp every five seconds because we go out there to hear him gobble, right? I mean, that's really ultimately what makes it so exciting is you have, you're eliciting a response from your communication with that turkey. But knowing that doesn't mean that you have to make him gobble 500 times in 10 minutes because all you're doing is you're, you're defeating the purpose and you're, you're going to not play the cat and mouse with him. You're playing cat and mouse. You're just trying to keep his interest peak just enough to mm-hmm. suck him in just like a vacuum cleaner. Just, you know, you go quiet for three or four or five minutes. Maybe he gobbles on his own. Okay. Now we're really in business when he's gobbling on his own. Mm-hmm. He's really trying to dictate what's going on. He's like, where are you at? And then you give him a little softy up again, and then he's like, "Ah, oh, there she is." And then you're playing, <laughs> you're playing on his emotions. That's all you're doing, and that's why you've done. A, say you you've done the plain yelp every few minutes. You've got him coming. He hangs up. You go you go quiet for just a minute, and then you say, "Okay, I'm going to get aggressive." That's the next thing I'm going. Well, I think I'm going to scald him, and that's what I call a scalding one. When he mm-hmm. the plain yelping stuff didn't get it, I'm going to just going to cut at him real real hard for like 20 seconds. And I, I've had them break just like that, and they here they here they come because you got him. He's already revved up if he gobbled pretty good coming in, and then if you give him all that sexy talk right off in, in like a ten second, twenty second series, many times it'll break. And then sometimes you know what, it doesn't work. And if I've done that and that doesn't work, I'm going to shut up for twenty or thirty minutes, and that's the hardest thing that any turkey hunter can do. <laughs> but I killed, I have killed a quarter of the birds in my life, and I've killed a bunch of them, boys that just by shutting up for 15, 20 minutes. He will break. I'm telling you, it's, it's the most successful tactic that I've ever employed is no calling at all, but it's so hard to do. It is so hard to do. <laughs> and it's not the fun part. You want him to gobble. That's what we want to do. We want to get that response, but try shutting up. Now, sometimes that does not work. Now, now disclaimer, shutting up for 15, 20 minutes works great on Easterns and Osceolas. Don't do it out West on Miriam's and Rios. Right. Yeah. They have ADD. They will walk off and leave you <laughs> sitting there. Just remember that. Just total disclaimer for real. Yeah, um, those birds are different. They're called. They're calling um, uh, receptiveness is just completely different. I can't tell you the times that I've gone out there and told guys, "Don't be afraid to call. This ain't public land Osceola down. You know, down here. You've got to keep him interested, or he'll walk off. He will mm-hmm. walk off." And so I, I went into that knowing that I had an old timer tell me that about Miriam Van Rios. 
and I took it to heart because heck, I like to call anyways, you know, and uh, it worked out perfect. It worked out perfect, and I had a lot of immediate success with the Rios and Rios and Miriams. Yeah, because it just works. They love it. They love hearing a call. Yeah. So I have a I have a vest question. This is something I I, I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. I am that guy i'm the quintessential how much stuff can i fit in this vest because you never know when you might need it so the vest that i've got back there i intentionally bought because it had very few pockets comparatively to some of the others so my question for you is what's in your vest like right now it's ready to go what's in it it is uh well this is an alps vest which whom i am not even affiliated with i just love this is the one that has the seat built into it, the straps. Gotcha. You don't need a tree. It is amazing for filming because you just plop right beside your shooter or, you know, or uh, he's on a tree, you're beside him. Or or if you're just hunting and you don't have a tree, you don't need one. You just sit down and these straps. And, and I'm, I'm 200 pounds, 5'11", 200 pounds, so I'm not a giant guy. But I would say to the 250 range probably, if you get much bigger than that, you may have a little bit of a problem with this thing. But, but um. Great vest, love it. I have it in uh, Bottomland and in um, NWT of Succession. If I'm changing it up, and I freaking love it. So, what's in my vest is very. Um, I'm not going to go through every box call. Okay, carry a box call. Carry a battery pack for my phone to keep charged because you never know when you're going to be out there. And uh, just few few extra mouth calls in, the, in that pocket. Nothing nothing spectacular. Can you see this? Okay, kind of. Oh yeah. Yep. Head net gloves, obviously in that pocket. And this. Um, Al Hooter, which I just well, it's actually it's on that lanyard, but there's my Ninja Al that I was just running, and that goes in this pocket. Mouth calls go in this pocket, and I'll just show you this. If you've ever watched Hunt Quest, this is the infamous crappy jig case. So there's about 60 mouth calls in, it. and and <laughs> laugh all you want. Latex gets saturated, it loses its life, and you run yeah. one for 15, 20 minutes, and it loses that real, real, can call realism, and that's what I will constantly. You'll see me swapping calls out. So that's why I carry so many mouth calls. Um, Thermocell, shout out Thermocell. Yeah, you gotta love, you gotta, everywhere I go, I'll always have a Thermocell. Pro call, which we had out earlier, that goes inside, inside pocket. Um, now mind you, you've only seen a box call. That's the only thing that you've seen that as, as far as they, in the mouth calls. And then you go into this pocket here, uh, and I carry, I just put this new fusion. This is the Woodhaven fusion. That we come out with this anodized aluminum. It's an acrylic pot with the bottom land wrap on it, pretty slick. It's, it comes with a carbon striker and a slate tip striker. It's not waterproof, but it's weatherproof. It's it's the most um, durable for damp, damp, even drizzly conditions. It will run somewhat wet. I'm not saying you run it underwater in a swimming pool, but right. definitely not as susceptible to the moisture and the wood contraction that you get on our. Because you know all of our Woodhaven. This is a, a vision crystal. And that is a vision or an, um, a ninja aluminum. And this one just got thrown in the vest, but normally it's just these two. The real hen box call right there. Um, I carry a cherry real hen. And I have a couple strikers, laminate strikers. I'm a big laminate guy. And then we have a thing called the ninja striker, which is a yellow heart. Now there's I have three, three laminates. Yellow heart. There's some ninja stick. Yellow heart with a walnut head. Great. Brings every call to life. Ninja stick. And um, so I have three pot calls, a box call, a bunch of mouth calls. And then I'll show you something I think is interesting that I've been doing now since oh, about four or five seasons that I started doing. Um, and it, and it's, it's been the demise of a lot of birds. I carry a rangefinder with me. 
Hmm. And every time I sit down, and now my gun, I can kill one so far with my Apex and my True Glow and my red, my red Dot and my Headbanger True Glow Choke or an Indy Creek, either one. It's it's embarrassing how far you can you can kill them 60, 70 yards. It's ridiculous. But this is just to get a good area of, of, of you know, uh, radius around you, if you will, of the 40 yards. 40 yards is my magic range. I love shooting around 40. My pattern's opened up. People, oh, I want to get in 20 yards. I, I really don't want to get in with my patterns like this. You know, I just it's just my thing. I like 40 yards. And I don't run decoys. So by the time they get to 40, a lot of times they're looking for me. And they're not, and at that point, if I'm set up like I do, which is called hiding the hen, which is mm-hmm. something that I love to talk about, it's something I, I coined the phrase hiding the hen. I, I came up with this in my head because I don't run deeks and I've never learned to hunt them with deeks. I killed a few early on when they first came out, the feather flex back in the 90s, and they were garbage and I had birds hanging up on them. And I said, Yeah, I've been killing them for 12 years before those things ever hit the market. And I said, I don't need this. I, I don't need one to. There's no reason for me to put something else out there that can cause him not to come in the gun range. Mm-hmm. If I've set up correctly and I do my thing, he'll, he'll by the time he gets in to see the hen he's here and he's dead. And that's mm-hmm. how I said that's called hiding the hen. And um, so I use the range finder um, to, to just to get a feel for what where my magic range that 40, 40 yard range is. I got box call chalk in there. Um, I carry this. This is what I use to wrap around my tripod. Because I mean I'm almost I mean I'm more behind the camera than in front of it anymore, to be honest with you. Especially like I'm guiding this weekend and I'm going to be guiding and filming these, these clients. They usually will allow me to film them because they want to be on HuntQuest to see the show. And, <laughs> uh, something that I definitely don't go in the woods without your wet wipes. Oh, yeah. And yep. you Florida boys, y'all know, swamp ass is a terrible thing. <laughs> and I, I stumbled on this about eight, nine years ago, and I don't know how I used toilet paper all those years after sweating and yeah, just, you know the deal. <laughs> Scentless baby wipes. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. um, heck, I even, this is another neat little thing you'll see being a Florida turkey hunter. I carry a towel on my back, my best. Yep. I love that. I carry a towel just for wiping the sweat off, you know, cool when, you're, when you've been on a walk. Um, binoculars that are just back here, they're usually around. There we go. Binoculars, little loopholes. Um, like I said, I have two wings. I will use it for fighting furs or for flying down. Um, my tube call is somewhere in here. There she is. Don't go anywhere without a tube call. That's oh, yeah. my locator. Whenever I'm when I'm not getting to gobble at a crow or an owl or a hawk, that's what I get them to gobble at if I have to make hand sounds. Rarely do I even put a mouth call in and walk into the woods anymore unless I'm set up on a turkey. So um and uh obviously well can't leave can't go in the woods without snippers. Yep. And um I guess we'll call that good. That's pretty much that's most of the heart and soul of what I'm toting. And this vest, it didn't look like much, but this damn vest weighs 30 pounds, man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, it's it's mean, that it just, crappy it, jig it box. It didn't seem like much, but it's, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Oh, so there's what's in the vest. And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to carry two push pins, nine slates, 45 mouth calls, four box calls. <laughs> Literally what you're talking about, buddy. Yeah. It, I, I mean, it was, <laughs> I had a hundred. Don't know how I did it. Don't know how I did it. You know, you, you refine that gear selection as you go through the years yep. and you know what your bread and butter is. and Yeah, and you and you, I found you taking less calls and, and other little – the rangefinder clippers mm-hmm. have always been a staple in my vest because palmettas in Florida, any, anywhere, limbs, foliage, clearing something out, making a blind, a makeshift yep. blind, you know, with, with natural natural stuff, trimming bushes, that kind of thing. Um, oh, I do have something – 
that I didn't bring out of the vest that I would highly recommend because red dots have become so so popular. I, I've been hunting with one for about 15 seasons now. Would not hunt without one. And uh, I carry spare batteries in my uh, in my mm. vest for my red dot. It's not the worst. Being in the woods and you're in, and the one time it decides to take a crap, you know, those they last for like a year. You could leave it on for a year, but that one day you get out there and you're hunting. <laughs> Cold and hits it. Dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the uh, uh, True Tech Mini that I carry on my 1300, which is actually right over there, is the one that goes on the pistol slide. So it's very, very durable, but it has, um, it needs, it has an Allen wrench that mm-hmm. you have to get to take the whole base off of it, or not the base, the top. Mm-hmm. And then you have to flip the battery out and pop it in, and then you screw it back down, and it, it holds zero, you know, because it's in the same positions on the the, um, the bolt holes. But um, I carry the Allen wrench in there, a little bitty sack as well, because you're screwed without it. Some of the True Glows just have a AAA in them, and you can just unscrew yep. the cap. So I mean, yeah. yep. that's the Ignite, and I had that on my 410 actually, True Glow Ignite. So I'm done rambling. Sorry that that was you. Uh, you set yourself up for all that bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love it, man. I, I think, uh, so the, the balance that you talk about, so I got rid of the box call because I'm not very good at it. And I was carrying it for just because it made me feel like a Turkey hunter. And that's right. where I, that's where I put my, my clippers because yeah. the palmettos up here are just nuts and I'm just using them all the time. And so all the time, it, best it's, natural bond material ever made yeah, for, by nature. for, for all game species. Yes. Duck, deer, it does not make a lick of difference. And you cut them on an angle and you can stick them right there next to you, man. Oh, my gosh. Great tip right there. Always cut them at that angle. So Yeah. I should charge for that one. Yeah. (laughs) Pro staff tip. Yeah. Walter Lee pro staff tip alert. (laughs) You you coined hide the hen. I coined uh, cut it at an angle. So, uh, yeah, there it is. Well, Chase, I know where I'm going with this next. You got anything you want to throw at them? Yeah, I got a question for you. The we talk a lot about hunting them off the roost, maybe shortly after that. Uh, I like to go hunt turkeys a lot in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, and you don't hear a lot of strategy on many of the podcasts about hunting turkeys uh, mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And I know a lot of times, at least where I'm at, they're they will gobble. They're just is seems like they're not as fired up maybe in the afternoon for me. But you can get them to shot gobble some. Right. And uh, maybe uh, a gobble here or there, but what, what's your go-to strategy in the afternoon? Um, I think a lot of the gobbling activity in the afternoon could be dictated by weather patterns and times of season. Um, all I, I think later in the season, afternoon hunting could be even better because the hens are nesting or sitting or laying and they are leaving. And I think that's when they get out. If you're and again, pressure dictates everything on gobbling activity. You got to think about managing areas and pressure in general. That's going to be something that early season, mid season, late season is is something that changes the bird and what he normally does. But if it's a place that you're hunting that you're potentially has not been hunted to death, um, I've I've had birds gobble all gobble all the way to the gun barrel just like they were right off the roost. Um, I've had birds show up quiet um, in the afternoon, so I, I don't. Tend, the older I get, and I'm not, I, you know, I, I went through the divorce diet and lost 30 pounds, so I'm pretty spry right now, okay, pretty decent shape. Not afraid to walk anywhere, but now walking in 90 degrees and running and gunning is just not my forte anymore because I've what I found is blind calling. I'm killing more turkeys blind calling, and we can go into that because I have my theories on why blind calling and being in one spot and having birds moving around you and hearing you calling for extended periods of time versus that one time you called to him because you're walking and hauling butt through the woods and you hit that call one time and he might pick his head up and go, eh, nah, I'm just going to do it. 
But if he's walking through the woods and he hears you yelp, and then five minutes later he hears you cut, and he hears you yelp, and he hears you cut, he's like, I guess I'm going to have to go see her. So to to your point, the afternoon stuff, I've had a ton of success. I'll tend to walk and call a little more in the morning, especially when it's cooler, depending on the temperatures and everything, especially if I hear a lot of roost activity. You know, that, you, you gauge that morning hunt. I do. If I'm hearing birds gobble all over and way off, I hear that bird, he's hammering, and they're gobbling on their own. That's when it, it takes where I might do a little bit of slipping and calling and covering some ground because they're just, you just know when they're vocal. Now, Miriam's Rios, disclaimer, they'll gobble. I love hunting them. I love hunting because they gobble almost all day long at anything. They're so much fun to hunt. But Eastern Osceola's whole another ball game. So, afternoons, I like to generally, it's going to be hotter, definitely in our neck of the woods. And even a lot of places I hunt in the southeast, you know, you know I'm going to go to Missouri in, um, in mid-April. And we had 75, 80 degrees in Missouri in mid-April. And it could be snowing in Missouri in mid-April, too. But going to Nebraska uh, to hunt hybrids with Jake in uh, mid-May could have snow, could be 75 degrees. We don't know. But um, I just tend in the afternoons to get one. You can hunt in your roost areas. Okay, just throwing that out there. I'm not saying I'm a big roost turkey hunter. I'm not, I don't want to just chop them off at the pass while they're going to go fly up. But, but if you get in the areas where you know they tend to roost, I've caught a lot of turkeys in doing that, and I and I tend to set up in blind call. Um, you can find the needle in the haystack. You can put the boot leather to the ground, and you can burn it up, and you can possibly strike that needle in a haystack, what I call it. But I like I just gave the dissertation about why I think sitting still and, and then putting those – and I'm talking calling fairly frequently, every 10 minutes or so, giving a nice sequence of calls. And um, it's just been really, really successful. Now, once he comes and he, and he gobbles, again, you got a gauging. What it all was it? Will Primo's taking his temperature, I think, is what they used to, he used to call it. I mean, is he gobbling good at your call, calling? Is he just kind of randomly gobbling, but he is answering, but he is starting to close a little bit? That's where I bird that like that. Again, depending on hunting pressure and if it's late season, that's where I'm going to maybe get a little more aggressive or I may scale it back. It all depends on what he's doing, how much he's gobbling. Do I feel like I can call that way to him? That's the whole key. I mean, you, I know going into a place, this is a hunt and lease, and it's been hammered by the members of this hunt and lease, and we get a bird that does get vocal in the afternoon. I'm not, I'm not going to call a lot. I'm not going to get crazy. No matter how much more I sound like a turkey than this guy or that guy or that guy over there, they hear the noise. They realize they get bumped. They realize that there's just, in my, in my mind, we were talking about what can a turkey rationalize. I think that they inevitably go, is every sound I hear that sounds like a hen turkey of a hen turkey. And that's where I'm just going to be, I'm going to make him just look and listen a little bit harder. I might just cluck and purr real soft and give that softer stuff. And on, on a hunted a place that's pressured, if I'm hunting a place that I know hasn't been pressured much in late season, I might give him a little bit more. I might be more inclined to call a little more aggressive and try to get him coming. So, and all this, again, will generally revolve around me set up and doing some blind calling. And it's just been wildly successful. Mid-morning, after the morning blast off and nothing's going on, I'll still, I will go 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I love getting in a place. I know there's sign that holds birds, and they may not be gobbling at all, but I know they're there, and I'm going to set up, and I'm going to be, I'm going to heighten my sense of awareness and movement. Use palmettas. Use something to help mask the cover of movement if I do have a little bit of movement, and just set up and call, and just, and just be patient and listen. I'm just telling you, it's been very successful, mid-morning and late afternoon. So I went in like 40 different directions. Sorry, if you, I hope you got all that. <laughs> well, yeah. it, you, you gave me an immediate like thought, though, because how are you hiding the hen in a situation where you're setting up in a kind of a general 
a general area and doing some blind calling, you don't know what direction the bird's coming. That is all based on using a terrain. Okay. Trying to find a place. Now, again, if you get hamstring and he comes in behind you, you can only cover so many bases. Sure. Hiding the hen is going to generally be on a bird you've engaged, and you then you're setting up based on that knowledge. But that is a great question. And, and I always sit down. I'm looking around going, where have I seen the sign? Where are they, are they filtering into this field from that end of the field? Or am I in big hardwood timber? But I've got a little bit of a rise where if I get just on that side of the rise, I don't care if he just periscopes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's enough for me to get a shot at him, and that's yep. all it takes. Because it's not—it's not Hollywood. You know what I mean? This is not even me filming and doing what I do for my my little show. I'm still trying to kill a turkey at the end of the day, and it doesn't—I don't use decoys, so there's not all this flogging and flapping on decoy crap. I can't. Not a big fan. Anyways, <laughs> um, I'm just not a big fan of that. I'd rather see that that hunt where that bird, cat mouse type stuff is what I sure. love seeing. And um, you just use the terrain. You use a bend in the road. Try to tuck in somewhere where I could put myself up behind some thicker terrain where at least I know about a 95% chance that bird will not come from behind me mm-hmm. because it's a thicket. It's a nasty place. It's water. There's a, there's a big, there's a pond, you know, put, put a piece of terrain feature between you and behind you and kind of block out. It's like, I don't know if you guys play golf, but the guy that takes the one side of the golf course out of play because he hits a draw every single time. It's the same thing take that one side of that approach out of the, out of the playbook. And then that way, at least he's going to be coming from somewhere and that you have visibility and hopefully cannot hamstring you and get you, but it, it never fails. He's going to somehow, some way it's going to, it's going to hurt you, but that's how I would hide the hen when I'm blind calling. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I we did that twice. We used water last year to uh, stop the approach. And both right. times the Turkey broke the rule and came through right. the water uh, I mean, like it, it, it was one of those things where yeah. I hear, I hear the, the footsteps and I'm the first time that happens, I'm thinking, there's no way that's a Turkey. And then here he is at seven yards to my right. And there's no way I can move. Washing right through the swamp. Yeah. Uh, it, that, in the there, se- that's what you, no matter what we do to think that we're <laughs> setting ourselves up for perfect execution is they're going to do something that's going to make you look like an idiot. They do it. That's what I love about it. Yeah. <laughs> They do some unexpected things. Last year, I had a bird fly from his roost through the swamp. I got it on video, and it's like my crowning achievement in life. He comes through the swamp and just pitches 13 yards to my right. I mean, like, he must have flown 200 yards through the swamp, but he wanted to be where I was, which was impressive that he knew right where I was as well. Absolutely. Flew flew right down and and landed at at my right at 13 yards, and it was just like, I expected you to come up over this rise, this little hill like you mentioned, and I expected to, you know, if I see red, he's dead. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it didn't work out. Did you kill the bird? I did. (laughs) All right, good. I didn't want another story where it is. There's a lot uh, of that with me, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. So on the topic of failure, my question is, when you watch your YouTube channel, um, it is death 365. How many hunts do you think, how many setups do you think you go through before you, you and your crew, you know, success, you know, uh, connect with a, a bird? It is. I mean, this depends on the weekend and cause you got to understand, like, um, I, I feel like I have to say this and I don't mean this to, for, as an excuse, but I work a normal job. Like I don't hunt turkeys. People have the conception that I, that's all I do is hunt every day of the turkey season. Now I know some guys I'm not going to mention that I'm very envious of. They get that are doing that and they've made it somewhat of a living doing it. And that's great Mm -hmm. for them. 
everything I do is jumping on a plane, unless it's Georgia, South Carolina, I'm jumping on a plane and flying somewhere with all this gear and I'm using two days of vacation with a weekend. And that's I'm doing that's that's all I ever do. So to answer your question, I mean, um, how many setups? It, it it just depends. Um, that's a great that's a great statistic. I never even thought about it because there's not many. I, I, again, not bragging. There's not a lot of hunts that we don't have success on. Because um, if there weren't, there wouldn't be 15 and dead turkeys. Uh, you know, uh, and I don't have 100 episodes every year, unfortunately. Right. I have like a dozen. You know, and that's the the hunts I probably go on in a season. And um, it just depends on the, I don't know, I don't know how to put a number on that. Because some weekends I go on these trips, we'll kill two or three birds. Sometimes it's just one bird, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't put a number on how many setups it actually costs. I just know that I'm getting it done probably 85% of the time on these short trips, these shotgun trips that I go on, we're, we're making it happen. We're having success. So that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Not saying every day of field in those three or four sure. trips, but, but just to have success at all on these short trips in 90% of the time, I have no clue unless it's a few places that I really will hunt. There's places in South Carolina, which is my home away from home. I was in the army for six years, stationed at Jackson for three years in Columbia. That's where I killed my first Eastern Turkey was in 1995 on Fort Jackson in South Carolina. Yep. That's awesome. So, um, that place I hunt there, there's places on Fort Jackson. There's places in a, in a, in a, uh, a managed area up there that we hunt, we get drawn for not going to main. I'm not going to mention that one, <laughs> but um, know a lot about that place, and I've hunted it. So I know pl- we know places historically that sell turkeys, but a lot of it is not no clue. Like I'm going to Nebraska with Jake, with a buddy of mine, Tony Doty. Now Tony knows the places now, and he's a good turkey hunter. He he does some guiding out there, but at the end of the day, I, I, unless I'm asking where, what's over that ridge, what's over that hillside, where you know, what I mean. And, and a lot of times you don't even have that luxury. You're just put out in a place and here you go. go hunt. Like the Missouri thing, I'm going to hunt with Stoltz and Yargis and Pentecost. All, all the Woodhaven boys are getting together. We're going to Missouri and hunting um, Slim Knox County Whitetail Outfitters. And, and we went there last year. And those guys go, yeah, you got 400 acres in this block. And um, we, we saw some birds that hurt some birds over here. And you just go hunt. And so that's. Where I think you're, you, when you do that and you don't know anything about where you're at, that's when you're really taking it to another level of success. And you, you got your crap together, in my opinion, when you're killing birds like that. That's awesome, man. Well, Chase, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be sensitive Holy to crap. his time. I know, I know. <laughs> it's fun, man. I mean, I can ramble on about this stuff. Well, We've I covered he, a lot of ground. I mean, and I feel like we have so much more ground to cover. And so maybe we need to do like a follow up at some point in the coming weeks if, uh-huh. if you'd be interested. I'm game. Okay. Yeah, All right. I'd love to do another one with you guys. Part maybe part maybe two. we'll script out some stuff next time. I love to get impromptu stuff, but I do too. you know, yeah. just things that you want to ask me or things that I might want to say. We need to probably talk about the thing about the communication with the hens. That's yep. a, I've done that on a lot of podcasts, but I love telling my side of the story on how to talk to hens if you know he's hinned up. There's a whole other level to that game. I like to, you know, we touched on the exploiting his emotion, like getting really excited or getting really mm-hmm. quiet. We touched on that a little bit. That's something that's always great to talk about. Setup is another one we could go, go into. We could talk gear. I loved it. Thanks for the question on the vest because that was cool just to break it down and all the goodies that I got on that vest, you know, and then something, maybe say somebody saw something, they go, oh, I need to put one of those in there, you know. So, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and I was taking notes the whole time because I knew we weren't going to cover all the all the golden, the golden bits here. So, Chase – yeah, I've got I've got one follow up question to close this out. Do you have anything that you want to throw it at him before I do? Uh, what is your favorite call? Oh, like if you had call. a favorite call, 
Mouth call. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Split a split B mouth call is it just hands-free <laughs> operation. Uh, I can do any sound a turkey can do on this thing. I mean, I like running friction calls to mix it up. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty um, versed on on box calls and tube calls, and I, I mean I can run a trumpet. I don't carry a trumpet. It's something I've thought about doing, and then you know a suction type device. That I've, I've seen a lot of guys that have a lot of success with that sound because it's just different. Um, but a mouth then a mouth call, Chase. It's just it's here. I can do everything I want to do, and it's pretty stinking realistic. It, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I can make it sound like a turkey pretty good. And, and you can put so much more inflection in a mouth call. You know, you can only do so much inflection in a pot or a friction call because you can put a little more pressure. You can do a little bit of a hand adjustments to add a little bit of life to it. But a lot of it's more repetitious. And, um, uh, and two, you, uh, you, you basically add speed to friction style calls to give the inflection. Whereas you can actually t- change the tone with the latex and a mouth mm-hmm. call or two call even, honestly. But a friction call is harder. It's harder. You know, you, you can sh- yelp excited and go fast to show a little bit of excitement with rhythm and speed. And that's another whole how you convey excitement or, or contentment or whatever in your calls based on rhythm and volume and inflection. That's a whole nother podcast, dude. There's so much to putting that next level realism in it. And it's, it's easier for me to do and most anybody to do, even an average caller with a mouth call. I laugh because you. I laugh because Chase, you just validated Chase. That's his favorite uh, call right there. I'm I, I I bounce back and forth between a lot of them, but he every time I, I we will we'll have a call maker on the show and I'll buy a couple calls from him just to you know say thanks and I'll I always ask Chase and I don't know why but I always ask Chase what do you want me to buy for you and he's like oh just give me a couple split V's I'm like okay hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey you're a man after my own heart <laughs> yeah there you go there you oh, go man all right so I'm gonna put you on the spot here and this is a lose lose situation 49 different ways over uh, what is the hardest state to to kill a turkey oh gosh <laughs> somebody's gonna be mad at you no matter what you say so no i mean i i it just depends on the turkey i've had them hard to kill them in any state i've had miriams just school me miriams that we think you can kill them with wiffle ball bats because you call them up so close you know what i mean yeah but literally I, i've had any all subspecies have schooled me, except Goulds. Goulds are really easy to call. I mean, I've never seen a more receptive call receptive bird than the down in Mexico. Yeah, uh-huh. they were they were a lot of fun. And there's no pressure really on these turkeys down there. They've never yeah. heard a human imitate a turkey, much less somebody that can really sound like a turkey. I mean, it's just yeah, it was a lot of fun. But I mean, I've hunted exclusively easterns and osceolas for well to see. I killed my first eastern in '95. What years? So 27 years I've been killing easterns. And I started hunting Osceolas in 86, 85, 87, somewhere, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So that's 30 plus, 35, 36, 37 years. So those two, I mean, I can, I've only killed, I've caught in a bunch, but I've only killed like, I think six grand slams. I mean, I say that loosely, but only, I mean, <laughs> well, but I mean, but I've hunted and caught a bunch more in for other people on sure. the same hunts and that kind of, yeah. so, I mean, I've had enough experience with them to say that you just, you as a whole, they're in a different category because they're, they're easier to call. You can call more to them. Generally, yeah. just easier to kill. So, I mean, any eastern in elevation, this is all my, this is all my answer to this. Public land Osceolas, 
or tough. I don't care. And, and, and people say, oh, it's just the turkeys. Just, you don't know there's their signs there. It's the hunt pressure that makes it. The terrain yeah. somewhat makes it really tough down here, especially down here where I'm at. And then the pressure makes it really, really hard. But outside of that, any eastern turkey that I've ever hunted in elevation, they are some bucks to hunt. I love them. I love hunting them in the mountains. I've hunted them in New York. I've hunted them in um, North Carolina and Virginia. And I've hunted them all over the southeast in the mountain stuff. And, um, man, elevated West Virginia, those birds in those hills and those mountains. And New York, they are just another animal. They're just they're so hard to get the right setup. And we've talked about that a lot. It is so hard to get on that right plateau with them or on that mm-hmm. right ledge with them or above them or at least even with them. You know, it's just they're in there and they're very nomadic. I find those birds in those hills moving like a Miriam does out west. They just they travel a lot. Mm-hmm. They act like they know where the heck they're going every time they get to going somewhere. And a lot of that is getting around on them. And when you do try to get around on them, you're climbing a damn mountain. Making You're all kinds of racket. You're going five miles to get 100 <laughs> yards. When you could have walked straight to him and been 150 yards away, you're walking miles to get around yeah. to try to get in front of him because he does start. So any eastern elevation and probably when I tell this to me, the, the, so the hardest birds I've hunted in my opinion. That you navigated that que- that trap question beautifully, sir. <laughs> 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 well, guys, I can't thank you for coming on the show enough i'm thrilled to know you're going to come off a part two because i just knew whenever you have a guest like you on where you've got this wealth of knowledge there's no way in one frankly probably even in two episodes you you can't you can't get through that in that book man we just start running off on yeah and i'm horrible about it to a fault i mean it's it covers a lot of different angles you know like chase was asking about the afternoon thing and i went in 50 different directions about (laughs) mid-morning And blind calling and why I like a blind, you know, but it, we just, there's just a lot of different directions that ended up back on the afternoon blind calling. Yeah. Depending on pressure, time of season. There's a lot of, there's a lot of variables and that's what I do. And I'll, and, and I'll shut up with this, with this thick playbook you have on top of that, there's so many variables that you're putting into that playbook to get to pop out a play or, mm-hmm. or a move or, or, a, or a tactic. And it's, it's weather conditions, it's time of season, how hard is he gobbling, does he have hands? And all of that, you're trying to, I'm trying to process that on the fly and come up with something out of my playbook. Because it's not, there's, there's rarely going to be that basic, other than he's on the roost and you're waiting for him to fly down and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just, it's rare that you get that one scenario that is straightforward, straight, straight cut, that you know exactly, this is what I've done 10 times over 50 times that it's happened and it's worked 10 times that's pretty good success rate for mm-hmm. but it's rare that that happens because there's some other variable that's in that's slid in there on you that you might not have encountered before and that's where you have to it's a it's a beautiful turkey encyclopedia turkey computer is the, not is the way i've coined the phrase your turkey computer to try to process all the variables and what's worked and what's had success and you you cover as many of them as you can and then put a play together that's what you do with all those variables and they don't work. You you process the next set of variables and, and see where and put the next play in motion. And that's that's where people go wrong, and they get one dimensional on turkey hunting. They get too one dimensional. They do not think outside the box. They sit there and they stroke that box call and they cut and they yelp and they sit there. It just that's not. It, it's going to kill turkeys from time to time, but it's not going to kill birds that are tougher, that are pressured more, that are on the move that are in different states that are different subspecies. It's just not going to consistently kill them like you want to be in the woods and be successful turkey hunting. 
again, you, you, you made a great point earlier was how do you hide the hen if you're setting up just blind calling? And I think that was, I think I answered that pretty well as far as using terrain to, to kind of take a side of the, out of there. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, um, you've got to figure out what works and what has been as consistently in that situation and then try to try to put that in motion. That's all I can tell you about it. Just don't think that sitting in one spot and doing that and that's how you're going to kill them. You know what I mean? Especially when you get one engaged. When you when you get one to answer, you start feeling him out. How much is he talking? How much is he moving towards you? Mm-hmm. How frequently is he gobbling? How often is he answering your call? There's, again, here we go. What am I doing? Naming variables, naming variables, naming variables. But, I mean, once you engage the bird, and when I say blind calling is, success, is successful, hugely successful, there's still a point where he eventually, you strike him because you're just set up and you end up getting him to gobble. And then that's when that playbook comes out. Or you're slipping and calling, and then you set up on the bird and start the playbook. So I'm rambling. Cut <laughs> me off. Cut me off, boys. I'm <laughs> I'll do it right here. I'll do it right here. So, guys, do these three things. Go check out the Turkey Tech app. I guarantee you it'll make you a better turkey caller, better turkey hunter. Go check out Hunt Quest on YouTube and all the social media handles. But most importantly, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.